Uh, final announcement, very important, March 10th. Look at your neighbor and say March 10th. Look at your other neighbor and say March 10th. March 10th is a Saturday evening, and it is our Leadership Appreciation Banquet. Leadership Appreciation Banquet. We are going to be honoring the assistant pastors and lay pastors and ministry directors of the house. And so we're, ask, we're asking everyone who's being ministered to or led by any of those individuals to prepare something special to honor those individuals. So, for instance, all of you members who are under a lay pastor, I want you guys to get together in your groups and come up with a way of honoring your lay pastor on that day. If you're under the direction of a ministry director, find a way to honor that ministry director on that day. And I'm asking the whole church to come together. Because how many know these individuals, they serve the house selflessly and sacrificially. They give themselves to the work of this ministry. Everything that has to be done to make this house run smoothly. Many of these individuals give hours and hours and hours of their time. The majority of them are unpaid, and even the ones that are paid are grossly underpaid. And so we need to take the time to encourage them, to build them up, and to show that we all appreciate their service to the Lord. And so I'm asking everybody to come. And here's the beauty of it. It's free. You don't have to pay to come and eat. All I'm asking is that you find a way to honor. And that means you get together. You know, you talk, okay, and you find a way to honor uh, we need to shut this uh, this one off right here. Unplug it, shut it down, or something. Um, yes, you can get a gift card, or or you know, some, just find a way to to make them feel really good and honored. And what you want is to make them feel so honored that it just kind of gives them that added thrust to serve with all their hearts for the next year. Amen. All righty. Uh, how many of you were here Thursday night? Raise your hand. Okay, good. So the vast majority of you were not here Thursday night. Thursday night I preached a very important message. I'm asking all of you that were not here on Thursday night to download that message and listen to it. You can do so by going to the Living Hope Christian Center Facebook wall and just clicking the link to it. The message was entitled, Life Without Lust. Life Without Lust. It's a very important message. I am going to preach the sequel to that message this morning. This morning... My subject is Kill the Carrier. The title of this message is Kill the Carrier. Now, how many ever played Kill the Carrier in school? You know what that game is? A few of you. When I was, now, it has other names that are not so edifying and, and I, will, I will not mention. But we called it Kill the Carrier at, at school, and I played it a lot in junior high. And here's how Kill the Carrier worked. You take a football, and hopefully you go to a football field, but we played it on the blacktop a lot. Yeah, that's, get, that's ghetto. You know, they don't make kids like they used to. Now kids get hit, and they get broken arms and broken legs. You know, when, back in the day, when you got hit by a car, you didn't die. You just, like, scuffed up your school clothes, <laughs> you know. But, but uh... Kill the carrier. You take a football. You get about 20 people out there. You take a football. You throw it up in the air. And if there's anybody gangster enough to catch the ball, that person, everybody else tries to tackle that person. I mean, if you get 20 people out there, you throw the ball up in the air, 19 people are trying to tackle one person. Now, I was good at kill the carrier prior to the James Bell incident, that is, for those of you who know anything about my story. Uh, I was good at kill the carrier. 
what you did was you, you catch the football and then you see how long you can run for your life without getting creamed. And what you would do is if you could run for a minute, two minutes, 30 seconds, however long you could run, but when it became obvious to you that your luck was about to run out, you get rid of the ball. I mean, you throw it up as fast as you could and get rid of it. And when the other players on the team saw that you had gotten rid of the ball, they stopped chasing you and they started chasing the ball. And whoever caught the ball next, that's who they went for. So, you know, I'd be playing kill a carrier and I'd catch the ball and I'd juke and I'd run and somebody tried to tackle me, they'd grab me and bam, I'd slam them, you know. And, you know, if somebody else is about to hit me, bam, I'd hit him and knock him down. You know, if you take out as many opponents as you possibly can and then get rid of the ball before you get taken out, that's the name of the game, right? That's the name of the game, okay? Kill the carrier. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that believers like to play a spiritual form of kill the carrier. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. When you're there, say amen. Okay, I'm going to read it. This is what it says. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is finished, or when it is full grown, the word in the Greek literally means perfect. When it is perfect, it brings forth death. Perfect sin brings forth death. If you could sin perfectly, it would kill you on the spot. Sin is a game of kill the carrier. And you better get rid of the ball. Quick. That's the word of the Lord this morning. You better get rid of the ball. Sin is like playing a game of kill the carrier. Why? Because sin always kills its carrier if it is not discarded in time. See, a lot of us in the body of Christ, we think we can carry that ball, you know, for a few days and then get rid of it before it takes us down. You think you can just take that ball, and, and the thing about sin is you always think that it's not harming you. You know, I remember playing kill the carrier, and I would catch the ball, and I would run, and I would run, and I would, you know, I'd bowl a few people over, and just before they would take me out, I'd get rid of the ball, and I'd think, man, I held onto that ball for a minute and a half, and I'm unscathed. There's a thrill when you go through danger like that, and you come out unscathed, and you start thinking, I can, I'm going to try this again. And then, you know, you, wait, you calm down a little bit, and then you wait for your next chance, and you catch that ball, and you run again, and you come out unscathed again, and you think, Man, I can do this indefinitely. Nobody can touch me out here. They can't even run with me on this field. Nobody is big enough to take me down. I don't care how big they are. I'm going to take them all down. And as soon as you start getting cocky, they catch you slipping. And you don't want to get caught slipping in a game of kill the carrier when you're playing it on the blacktop. Because I don't care if you're playing with 19 other midgets. When you get 19 midgets on top of you on the blacktop, when you get dog-piled, it is not fun. <laughs> Are you hearing me today? The myth 
is that you can carry the ball of sin and come out unscathed. You say, I'm unscathed. That didn't even harm me. I know how far I can go. And here's the thing. And kill the carrier, all it takes is for somebody to grab you in the right way. One person can lock your arm so that you can't get rid of the ball. I remember that happened to me one time, and, you know, I'm running, all of a sudden somebody comes behind and grabs my arms, and, and I'm, they're holding the ball in my hand. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, get rid of the ball. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Uh, I'm trying to throw it and let, and it was too late. Pretty soon, 19 more people, boom, 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 boom all on top of me, and pretty soon I'm on, on the ground, and there's 19 people on top of me, 19 ninjas. How many great men and women of God got taken out because they thought they could get rid of the ball, but Satan came and locked them up? Oh, you thought you could get rid of that. And suddenly they're crying out, Lord, help me get rid of this, but I'm all locked up by the devil. The devil's got me locked up, and now I get dogpiled by every devil in hell. I'm telling you that sin will kill you. It will take you out. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The, the thing that we don't understand about sin is that sin pays wages, but it pays them incrementally. Incrementally. You never, sin never pays up front. It pays by the hour. You know, you just get a small increment of death. Just a small increment of death at a time. In Psalm 32... Um, where is it? Yeah, there it is. Psalm 32. David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impart iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3, he says, But when I kept silent, when he says, When I kept silent, he's talking about his failure to identify and repent of his sin. His failure to identify, recognize, and discard his sin. He says, when I kept silent, when I saw that I was in this mess, but I kept silent about it, I thought I can deal with it, I can handle it, I can deal with it. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. That's the NKJV. In the NIV it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So I began to rot on the inside. Remember we said that lust brings corruption. In first, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, his, well, first of all, in verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises so that by them we might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust always causes corruption. Lust causes corruption. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He said, I began to decay from the inside out because I kept silent about myself. It began to kill me from the inside. It began to kill me. It, it began to kill me with shame. It began to kill me with condemnation. It began to kill me with the desire to hide. It began to take my life away. My bones wasted away. Verse 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. See, this is the thing. In Kill the Carrier, on the playground, 
you actually can carry the ball, successfully get rid of it, and come out unscathed. But with sin, it is impossible to carry the ball for any period of time whatsoever and come out unscathed. That's the lie. The lie of the enemy will come and say, but this is okay, you're okay, you're not going to be taken out by this, this is just a little thing, it's not a big thing. The thing is, lust always causes corruption and decay. And if we harbor it for any period of time, it begins to cause us to waste away from the inside out. And it says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know, oftentimes when people are serving the Lord and they start feeling burnt out and they start feeling tired and they start feeling overwhelmed and they start feeling like, you know, I want to quit my ministry, a lot of times it has nothing to do with the reasons that we think. Well, I'm doing too much. Well, I'm serving too much. You know what? What's actually happening in a lot of cases is that lust has conceived in your heart and it's begun to sap you of your strength. And you find that you're just living the exhausted and tired life and you don't know why. When if you would get that lust out of the way, if you would simply get rid of it and kill it before it has the power to kill you anymore, all of a sudden you'd find supernatural and divine strength would take hold in your heart and take you to another level of fervor in serving the Lord. And that's why the author of Hebrews said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We should never run out of spiritual fervor in the service of the Lord. We should never be lacking in zeal. And one of the primary ways the devil fights our zeal and our fervor in serving the Lord is by implanting just a little bit of lust. Kill it before it kills you. In Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, uh, he tells the Ephesians, he says, um, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, he says, who being past all sensitivity have given themselves over to sensuality. Now here's the thing about lust. The first thing that lust kills is your sensitivity to the Spirit of God. It says, being past all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. No sensitivity, meaning that God could be standing right next to them, but because they've lost all of their sensitivity to the Spirit, they don't know it. God, see, the thing about sensitivity, you ever, been, you ever found yourself in a moment of relational insensitivity? You know, like your wife is trying to tell you something super important, but you missed it because you were completely insensitive at that moment. I see husbands just grabbing their wives' knees and saying, mm, I love you, baby. I just, please don't be remembering what I hope you're not remembering right now. <laughs> and then you wake up later and say, man, why couldn't I see that? Like it was right up in my face. I had lost all sensitivity. You know, when you lose sensitivity to the Spirit, the first thing that lust takes away is your sensitivity to the Spirit. That is, you can no longer desire what the Spirit desires because all you can hear is what you desire. Lust kills my ability to hear from God. And Paul talked about it earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in in which you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. When he's talking about dead in transgressions and sins, he's talking about a complete and utter insensitivity to the spirit of God. You say, God, why can't you love me? I do love me, but you have lost all sensitivity so you can't feel it. 
God, why can't you speak to me like you speak to others? I've been trying to speak to you, but you can't hear me because you've lost all sensitivity. Say, God, why won't you answer my prayer? I've been trying to answer my prayer. I'm holding it out right in front of you, but you can't even see it because you've lost all sensitivity. And if we would remove the lust, suddenly we would once again become sensitive to the Spirit of God and sensitive to what God wants to do in our lives. Galatians 5.17 says that the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. You cannot desire what the Spirit wants and what the flesh wants at the same time. And so really the problem with operating out of the lust of the flesh is that it disconnects us from the desires of the Spirit. See, all lust is is a distraction. If you're battling lust at night, you're not hearing from God at night. If you're battling lust during the day, you're not hearing from God during the day. All the devil does is put a distraction in the way so that God can't meet with you and God can't speak to you and God can't pour out his love to you and God can't pour out his spirit on you because what God really wants to do is not simply remove the lust but insert his presence and his power and his spirit. He wants to get that out of the way so that he could take us higher. I love that song that Chen Wei wrote that we sang today, Take, take Me Higher. Oh, Lord, I want to go higher. I want to go higher, and that is the desire of the Lord. You know Chen Wei wrote that song, by the way. Some of you are. It's a beautiful, it's a powerful song, isn't it? The Lord just gave her a song that's taking this whole church to another level, isn't it? And we want to go higher, and God wants to take us higher, but God is saying, I'm going to take you higher, but not you and your lust. You're going to lay your lust aside, and then I'm going to take you higher. You say, well, how does it happen? Where does lust come from? Psalm 106, 13 through 15. Psalm 106, 13 through 15, it says, They soon forgot his works. This is speaking of the Israelites in the wilderness. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Lust begins when we forget his works. They soon forgot his works. Now, what is it talking about in the wilderness? What happened? The people of Israel were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And God, through a mighty hand, brought them out of Egypt, took them to the Red Sea, parted the waters of the Red Sea, brought them through the Red Sea, caused the waters to collapse on either side of the Egyptian army, and brought them into freedom. And they found themselves in the wilderness, and, the, and they didn't have anything to eat for a minute. And they forgot everything the Lord had done to get them there. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a Christian? They soon forgot his works. I've seen people get miraculously healed of diseases that should have taken their lives, and they were thankful to God for about 45 minutes, and all it takes is to be in traffic and late for an appointment, and, oh, God, why have, I, why have you cursed me? $45 short on the rent, and God doesn't care about me. I mean, think about it. You were in bondage to sin and destined for hell and destruction. But he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, raised him from the dead, predestined you to be adopted as his son, made you a co-heir with Jesus of his coming kingdom and glory, and called you his sons and daughters, but yet you're a few dollars short on the rent and you're crying out, why have you forsaken me? You're mad at him because he hasn't given you a wife or a husband when he saved you and delivered you and set you free. I mean, if he does nothing else for me, 
He calls me his child. He makes me an heir of his kingdom. They soon forgot his works. Forty-five minutes after being delivered from Egypt, they're crying because they ain't got nothing to eat. Sound like little kids. Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm hungry. <laughs> My daughter, I want banana milk. I want banana milk. I don't have any banana milk. <laughs> it's like the worst thing. My life is over. Yesterday she said, Daddy, I want watermelon. I'm sorry, baby, but you ate all the watermelon. We don't have any left. Ah! Just a look on her face like, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You never did nothing for me. You have utterly forsaken me. They soon forgot his works. Lust begins when we forget God's works. In order to lust for what we do not have, we have to forget what we have. You cannot lust for what you do not have if you have not forgotten what you have. And that's why lust always flows out of a lack of thankfulness. You cannot be constantly and continually thankful for what God has done and operate in lust in any way. You just can't do it. You can't do it. If you're thankful for the car you got, you can't be lusting after the car you don't got. So it says they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Lust grows when we refuse to wait for God's counsel. It begins when we forget his works. It grows when we refuse to wait for his counsel. See, here's the key. It doesn't mean you'll never have a need. And it doesn't mean that your needs are illegitimate. Your needs are often very legitimate. Our needs are often very legitimate. But the question is, what do you do with your need? The children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they really did need food. That's not an issue. It wasn't that they were wrong for sensing that they needed food and water. The question is... Were they willing to seek the counsel of the Lord and ask God, how do you plan on handling this? They had two choices. They either could have waited for his counsel or lusted exceedingly. They said, let's see, wait for his counsel or lust exceedingly. I choose the lust. Wait for his counsel. Isaiah 40 says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Listen, lust is an accusation. It says, God, I, since I know that you don't plan on meeting this need anytime soon, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Instead of waiting for your counsel, I think I'm going to solve this dilemma myself. I'm going to figure this out for myself. Lust is not only desire in isolation from God, like I said on Thursday night. It is also the decision to provide for my own needs in isolation from God. Instead of waiting, instead of saying, God, we need food, how are you going to handle this? God, we need money, how do you plan on fixing this? God, we're in debt, how do you plan on getting us out? God, we're having trouble, how do you plan on healing this? I'll never forget the first two years of my marriage, my wife and I had an extremely difficult time, and she'll tell you herself that the first two years of our marriage was hell on earth. <laughs> She hadn't trained me yet. <laughs> it took her a while. And I remember it was, the, it was, the sec, it was our, second, um, our second Thanksgiving together. And Thanksgiving morning, we were supposed to go out to Sacramento to my cousin's house, and we got in a big fight. And she said, you go by yourself. And I said, fine then. And I got in a the car and drove off to Sacramento. 
by myself. Husbands, if your wife says you go, that is your cue to get on your knees and say, baby, I was wrong. I'm not going nowhere without you. But it was because of the ignorance that was in me due to the hardening of my heart. I had lost all sensitivity. Yes, I did. Now, thank the Lord, that was 11 years ago. I was very immature at that time. The Lord has brought me so far. But I remember I was driving up to Sacramento that day knowing that me and my wife weren't done fighting. Knowing that round two was going to start when I got home. And I remember crying out to the Lord on the way up to Sacramento, and I said, God, there's no way you can use us in this condition. With our marriage like this, you can't use us. You can't do what you've told us you're going to do. The Lord had already given us great visions and shown us that we were going to plant churches and, and preach all over the world and do huge crusades and reach millions of people for Christ. The Lord had already shown us all those things, but we hadn't seen any of the fruit of it yet. And I said, Lord, I know there's no way that we can fix this on our own. So what do you plan on doing? It's your problem. Faith is when you see your problem as God's problem. Flesh is when you take it upon yourself to try to fix your own problem. And you cannot fix a problem with your wife through lust. You cannot take matters into your own hands and try to fix it, but learn to wait on his counsel. God, what is your plan for this situation? How do you plan on getting it out of us, getting us out of this? If you're in financial trouble, learn to wait on the Lord every morning. God, what is your plan for our finances? How do you plan on breaking us free? If you are single and feel like you need a wife or a husband, learn to wait on the Lord and say, God, what is your plan? Because here's the key. It says they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and here's the scary part, and God, and God gave them their request. They lusted exceedingly, and God gave them their request. Here's the problem with lust. God may give you what you want. Single men, do not be in a hurry to get married if God's not in a hurry to give you a wife. Because he may give you one. But God, I need a wife. God, I want one right now. I need one right now. Now and he's going no son not yet not yet I'm doing too much in you right now I'm preparing you and I'm preparing her I know the one I've got set aside for you she's not ready yet and you're not ready yet I'm trying to get the two of you no God I need it right now I didn't. oh come on son just wait longer I just I'm trying to get you ready what I have for you is so awesome if you could just see what I planned for you you'd have no no God I need it right now okay take this one. She's not the one I was preparing. She's not ready. But um, if you can't wait, I'll allow this. Go ahead. Mm. Mm. He gave them their request but sent leanness to their soul. I made the statement on Thursday night that it's actually possible to lust after your wife. Oh, that didn't make no sense, did it? The Lord spoke that to me through my spiritual father. 
my spiritual father came over my house and said, I, I, I can see what the problem is. The Lord showed me. You've been lusting after your wife. I almost showed him the door. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I would never do that. I would never do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's possible to lust after your wife. If there's corruption in your marriage, lust is often behind it. Lust corrupts any good thing. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the sexual relationship and marriage that we need to set straight. Uh, I've often heard people say, well, the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. And since the marriage bed is undefiled, that means the Bible says anything goes in the marriage bed. First of all, the Bible doesn't say that. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. Should be kept undefiled. Meaning you must be jealous to keep the marriage bed undefiled. Now if you're a single person, you can keep your marriage bed undefiled before you even have a marriage bed by keeping yourself undefiled. You've got to start honoring marriage long before you get married. You can't dishonor marriage as a single person and then think as a married person you're going to honor it. You've already trained yourself to dishonor it. It is possible to defile the marriage bed. How can I defile the marriage bed? If I bring another woman into it, I defiled it. I say, well, this is the marriage bed, so it must be okay. No! If my wife and I bring pornography into it as a means of stimulating each other, even if the two of us agree to that, we've still defiled the marriage bed. It's not anything goes just because the two of you agree to it. Pornography is pornography. Sin is sin. The whole concept of mutual consent, if God doesn't consent to it, I don't care if the husband and wife consent to it. Some people have been asking me questions. Well, what about things like um, going up the, the exit hatch? Is that okay? I'm serious. I got to ask those questions. I got to we got to keep it real. We got to talk about it. Well, here's here <laughs> Help him, Jesus. <laughs> that is not okay. Let me tell you why it's not okay. Cuz I've never heard of a woman who wants that. I've never heard of a woman wanting that. You know what I typically see? Are husbands who are trying to manipulate their wives into doing things that they don't want to do for their own gratification, and that is lust. It is not love. The principle is love. You say, well, how, you know, the Lord showed me that if I don't approach my wife out of love, I'm approaching her out of lust, and I'm defiling her and corrupting her. You say, well, how can I tell the difference? Well, it's easy. Love is patient. And love is kind. If I'm impatient with my wife, I'm not approaching her through love. If I'm approaching my wife with impatience, like, baby, come on, hurry up. I'm tired. I need it. Love is patient. Love is kind. If I'm frustrated and mean, it ain't love. Anything that makes my wife feel dirty does not come out of love. Because lo out of love, I would never want to make my wife feel dirty. 
Anything that tries to manipulate her into something or take advantage of her is not love. If it causes her to feel defiled or, or, or if it causes her to feel dirty or used, it's not love, it's lust. And it corrupts the relationship and the relationship will begin to deteriorate because I'm approaching my wife in a way that uses her as an object rather than values her as a person. Young single men, if you are trying to manipulate your girlfriends into doing things sexually that they are not ready or wanting to do, you are defiling her and you are defiling yourself and you need to stop it right now. And parents, you need to take authority over your kids and make the decision, I'm not allowing this mess in my household. You need to teach your kids and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and let them know this is not going down in this household. You're not going to do it. Are you hearing me? And parents, if you have daughters, do not let them date unbelievers. Don't allow it. If you have sons, don't allow them to date unbelievers. The Bible says do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't do it. It's unbiblical. Don't do it. Young people, if you're going to serve Jesus, you can't be dating unbelievers. Why? Because it's hard enough for believers to stay clean. Do you think an unbeliever is going to walk clean with you? You're struggling to stay clean and you got the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody. We got to keep it real up in this piece. Doesn't mean that you cannot sexually desire your wives, husbands. By the way, sexually desiring your wives is a good thing. It's good. If you're not sexually desiring your wife, something's wrong. Come up to the altar after the service. We'll lay some hands. We'll get you healed. <laughs> That's one condition I never understood. <laughs> I'm struggling, Pastor. I, I just have no desire for my wife. I'm like, are you? Take your pulse. <laughs> you got a fever? <laughs> you got some kind of sickness. I'm gonna help you, brother. No. Um, there are there are a lot of marriage relationships where the flip where the script is flipped. The wife wants it, but the husband don't. We'll get you all healed. Let me tell you something. You're supposed to desire your wife sexually, but not for the sake of sex. We got to get back to making love. Making love means I'll approach you not from a place of emptiness, but from a place of fullness. I'll approach you not because I'm desperate for you, but because I'm desperately in love with you. Not because I'm needy of your love, but because I want to show you mine. And when, if husbands, if you could begin to lavish your wives with love and get the expectation out of the picture and remove the demand, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times us husbands, we find that our wives don't want it and we don't know why is because you don't touch her affectionately at any other time. So when you touch her affectionately, it's a signal to her that you want something. And she feels used. Listen, you've got to love her 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just for 20 minutes at night. Are you hearing me? Are you with me, GP? Yeah. 
Why are we talking about this? Let me tell you why we're talking about this. God wants to send an influx of salvations to this church this year. This year. But here's the thing. If you get a whole bunch of people saved and put them in a church and then put them in accountability groups with other Christians, and they go to those accountability groups and all they hear are guys and gals confessing all kind of stuff that they're still messing with after they've been walking with Christ for 15, 20 years, the picture that that gives these new believers is, oh, wow, there's really not much of a distinction between being a believer and not being one. The only difference is I tell somebody about it afterwards. And we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. Twenty years later, we're still falling down, and then we get up. And a saint's no different than a sinner, except after he falls down, he gets up. (laughs) I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. Let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do you know what? Oftentimes God wants to send a revival of souls to a church, but he looks in that church and he sees nothing but compromising, lukewarm, lazy believers who are apathetic and accepting compromise. And he says, I'm not sending a single convert to that church to be turned into a Pharisee. I know this is not a normal message for me. My messages are always, no, son, you haven't failed. (laughs) there's no sin in you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying to you today? This is a good message, and the reason it's a good message is that God is letting us know that he's preparing us for something big. But here's the thing. Whenever Jesus says, go and sin no more, along with that command comes the power to actually go and sin no more. The command is always gracious. When Jesus says, go and sin no more, what he's saying is, you don't have to do this another day. You don't have to stick with it. And, and here's the lie that the enemy would speak. The, lie would, the enemy would speak a lie and say, but just, just one more time. Just one more, just one more, one, just once. Just, okay, you're going to give it up, but just one more, one more time. Do you know Whitney Houston called her mom a few hours before she died? and said, Mom, I know I need help, and as soon as the Grammys are over, I'm going to check back into rehab, but I just want to enjoy myself just one more time. Just one more time. And a few hours later, she was dead. May I say to you that you're not promised tomorrow? You remember that song we used to sing back in the late 80s? Back in the 80s? Tomorrow, I'll give my life tomorrow. You know I thought about today. Yeah, but I just turned and walked away. Listen, tomorrow, who promised you tomorrow, you better give your life today. Yeah, for tomorrow may very well begin too late. The word of the Lord is today is the day of salvation. Today. It's today, it's right now, it's not later, it's not one more time, it's not I'm wrestling, but I know I'm going to get free one day. The lie that you're going to get free one day is the lie that keeps you from getting free today. God never gives a promise of a one-day deliverance. Whenever God gives a promise of deliverance, it's always stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
And I'm telling you that if we would get a vision for life without lust, if we would get a vision for freedom, for entering into the glorious freedom of the sons of God, I'm saying that there's a release of the power of the Spirit of God to set you free today. And you don't have to walk in it another day. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me? I want you to stand to your feet right now, and I want you to lift your hands. I want you to make a declaration to the Lord right now that, God, I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm not going to walk in lust. I'm not going to walk in sinful desire. I'm not going to want, walk in wickedness or sin. We've spent enough time. In First Peter chapter 4, he says, you've spent enough time doing the will of the Gentiles. It's time to be done with sin. He says, therefore, since Christ also has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same attitude. For he who has suffered in the flesh is done with sin. As a result, he no longer lives his life after the will of the Gentiles, but he, according to the will of God. I'm saying that it's high time to awake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's time to shake off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's time to clothe yourselves with the Lord of Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Come on, make a decision this morning. We're breaking through this thing. Open your mouth. Go after it. Make a decision. Make a decision. Begin to declare it. I renounce every power of lust. Come on, just begin to say it. This word is for every one of us today. Lord, give us a vision for life without lust. No more. No more. No more. You are coming for a church that is without spot or blemish or any such thing. A holy people. A holy people. We embrace the holiness of God right now. Come on, make a decision. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look at a young lady to lust after her. Come on, make that decision. Young men, you make that decision today. Young women, you make that decision. I will not allow anyone to defile my body. Parents, you make a decision right now. I'm not going to allow it in my home. Make a decision right now. I'm not going to allow my sons and daughters to walk in these ways. I'm going to teach my sons and daughters. Come on. You got to get jealous for it today. You got to get jealous for it today. You got to get jealous for it today. Jealous for freedom. Jealous for freedom. Jealous for freedom. Yes, and we cry, holy, holy. Holy is the Lamb. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of your mercy and love the feet of Jesus, and we cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, 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 and we cry, holy, 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 is the 
bow your heads just for a moment. There's many of you here this morning that have been burned. You've been hurt by lust. You've been hurt bad. You feel that your heart has become defiled. You've battled all kinds of feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation. You feel like you've wasted away inside, and for some of you it's caused great depression. And it's broken your heart. It's caused your heart to be broken and damaged, and this morning the Lord wants to heal you. This word is not to shame you. This word is not to expose you, but to reveal you. This morning the Lord wants to reveal you, re re rebuild you. The scripture says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this has done nothing but broken your heart. And today God wants to heal you. If that's you today, you say, I need to be healed. I need to be restored. I need to be put back together again. I just want you to come stand at this altar right now. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is going to touch you right now. He's going to touch. Yes. There's no shame at this altar. There's no shame at this altar. I want you to know that. There's no condemnation at this altar. There's only restoration. There's healing. Come on up. Come on in. Come on in so others can come in. Come, come closer to the altar if you can. There's plenty of people coming. Yes. Secondly, there's others of you out there in the house. Specifically, I sense there's some husbands in the house that you just want to repent before your wife. You know, when the Lord gave me this, the first thing I did was repent before my wife and tell her I'm not going to approach you in this way anymore. I never, ever, ever, ever want you to feel dirty again. I want you to feel clean and pure when I approach you. And husbands, if you're feeling that and you want to do that with your wife, I want you to just go to your wife right now. Maybe even get on your knees before her. Maybe just make a new declaration. Boyfriends, I want you to say that to your girlfriends. I will protect your purity. I will protect your purity. If you're engaged, say it to your engaged men. Say it to your, your fiancé right now. Listen, we got to get this thing right. Matter of fact, every husband and wife, go do that right now. Go do that right now. Parents, maybe your child is here. I want you to go put your hands on your child and say, I will see to it that you're going to walk clean. I'm going to protect your purity because I love you. Because I love you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak your blessing over this gathering right now. Lord, those that have come to this altar right now have made a powerful step. They've taken a powerful step. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release a cleansing flow. By the Spirit of the living God, a cleansing flow, a cleansing flow. We renounce every power of lust. I want you to just open your mouths and begin to declare it. I renounce every power of lust. Come on, just begin to declare it to the Lord. I reject it. I reject it. I will not walk in it. I will not walk in it. Get jealous for it this morning. I will not walk in it. I will not walk in it. Yes. Now God, just begin to heal. Begin to heal. Begin to heal. Lord, everyone at this altar, their heart has been broken by it. Their heart has been broken by it. I pray that you would begin to heal and restore right now. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. God is healing you right now. Healing. Healing and restoration right now. Healing and restoration right now. Healing. 
healing to your mind, healing to your heart, healing to your emotions, healing to your spirit. I break shame and condemnation off of you right now in the name of Jesus. I break it off of you right now in the name of Jesus. I declare that healing is coming. The power of God is coming to restore. He's restoring. He's restoring. Just receive it. Receive it right now. Receive it right now. In the name of Jesus, there's restoration. There's restoration. There's restoration. And this is what I want you to imagine. You've been carrying that ball, and it's been just uh, deteriorating inside of you. I want you to, especially those of you at the altar, I want you to imagine yourself throwing that ball away from you. Just throw it, and you're free, you see? See, you don't need any process. All you have to do is just throw that ball. And God is giving us an opportunity to throw away that ball of lust. You see, lust is anything that you want, that you are grabbing. You're trying to meet your own need, meet your own desire. God, I'm lonely. God, I need this. Where anything that you go after away from God's delight, away from God's provision. Can all of us just lift our hands right now? And I want you to just, you know, in some way, some of us, we've been carrying that ball of lust and we didn't even know it because we thought it was spiritual. Did you know, just like Benjamin shared on Thursday, you could even lust after the spiritual things when you are coming from the place of emptiness. God, I thought you called me to this. God, I, God, I, want, I want to be great for your name. Even those things when it's outside of trusting in God, you can lust after anything. It doesn't have to be just sexual things, you know. God loves us so much. More than your heart, He wants to, He wants to, He wants to provide everything. He wants to, He wants to, He wants to make you whole. He wants to bless you more than your desperation to be blessed, you see. But so many times, we, we reach out for that ball of lust because we can't trust, because we can't wait, because we feel empty. And when we feel empty, we want to feel it. But today, as we throw that ball away up in the sky, and you're not going to catch it back, and you're going to just lift your hands, and you're going to open your heart and say, God, I trust you. God, I thank you that today I am free. I am free. I am free. I will not carry this ball of lust in any way. See, when we come to the altar, yes, I want you to repent. Yes, I want you to let it go. But you need to do all that in the position of faith. That you're free. Just the fact that you came, you walked to the altar, that means you let it go. You're free. You got to believe that. You got to believe that, amen? God, I thank you. I want you to just agree with me in this prayer. God, I thank you that all our relationships, God, are pure from this moment on. Our marriages, God, our, our, our relationship with our children, God. God, our relationship with you, Lord. Father, we thank you, God, that you have restored our relationships and it is pure. Father, we thank you for the purity 
of a relationship. Just right here in the presence of the Lord, one more thing I want to say. There's been some lack of clarity about certain issues, and one of those issues is the issue of masturbation. And I want to just say and make it plain and clear that that's not okay. It's not okay because it's self-gratification. It's taking into your own hands what you feel God has not provided for you yet. The Lord wants to cleanse us this morning of every form of flesh. And what the flesh is, is my desire either to please myself or to please God by my own power. Instead of living out Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lust. God wants to take us to a place of satisfaction in Him. The scripture says in Psalm 1611, in His presence there's fullness of joy. At His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The enemy wants to offer us partial joy and temporary pleasure that's defiled by shame and condemnation. But God wants to offer us full joy and eternal pleasure and no sorrow comes with it. And Father, this morning we embrace your full joy and your eternal pleasure comes in your presence. Take us to a deeper place in your presence. Even in our personal walk with you to a deeper place of intimacy. Take us beyond the battle of the flesh into the desire of the Spirit. We love you and give you all the praise this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.